This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you. After all, it's a special Shabbos for a number of reasons. First of all, it's Erev Shabbos. Second of all, it's a special Shabbos for three reasons. First, it is a double Parsha, Bahar B'chotai. It is Shabbos Mavorch, and we bless the new month of Sivan. And it is also the Shabbos that of Chazak, when we conclude the book of Leviticus, the book of Vayikra. And these three events come together at this special time, and it's not merely coming together in an accidental sort of way. There is meaning and purpose why these three things come together at this particular time of the year. It's the time of the year that we are preparing for Shavuot, the festival of receiving the Torah, God giving us the Torah. And these three dimensions of Bahar B'chukotai, this double Parsha, and the fact that it is Shabbos Mavarchim Sivan, and it is Shabbos Chazak, these three things come together to teach us quite a bit about what the Parsha, what this special Parsha is all about. Let's talk about Bahar B'chukotai for a moment. After all, it is the Parsha we'll elaborate a little bit later on. But Bahar and Bechukotai speak about two different dimensions. Bahar means a mountain. Bechukotai means to submit to my laws, the laws that are beyond reason and rationale, which you need tremendous humility for. A person could understand something, he says, I'm prepared to listen, I'm prepared to follow. But if it merely is an irrational or a super-rational law, why should I listen? And therefore, a tremendous sense of humility. And these two ideas, the mountain and humility, come together. The mountain, of course, represents something which is great, which is proud, which is strong, which stands out. The mountain, after all, is a mountain. It stands high. And at the same time, the idea of humility. And these two ideas come together because this is the way we have to develop our lives. On the one hand, a tremendous sense of pride, a tremendous sense of presence, to know who we are, what we are, and to stand tall, to stand proud, to proclaim through action, through deed, through speech, all sorts of ways to proclaim who and what we are. We are those individuals who stood at Sinai and God gave us the Torah. We are those individuals that God privileged by giving us these tremendous duties these responsibilities. We are the people, the grandchildren, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are the survivors of the longest story in history, the story of the Jewish people, a story which is a miracle within a miracle. You've heard me speak about this so many times. The mere fact that the Jewish people exist is in itself an exceptional miracle. And of course, a miracle that we have to celebrate with a tremendous sense of pride, not to be ashamed of what we are, not to hide behind something that we aren't, but to stand proud. At the same time, we have to do all of this with a sense of humility, a sense of humility in the eyes of God, a sense of humility with each other, a sense of humility that brings out a deeper dimension of closeness. And it's this what might seem to be opposites, the mountain and the humility. In actual fact, they complement each other. They build the Bahar B'chukotai. This is why the Shabbos is special. It's special because it's an opportunity to develop these seeming opposing concepts. And then, of course, it is Shabbos Mavarchim Sivan. We're going to bless the new month of Sivan. Sivan is the third month 
in the summer months, of course, as we count in Israel, and the sun being the first, the first of the months, Rosh Hashanah, Tishrei, is the first of the year, whereas Nisan is the first of the month, it's the third month, and it's the third month in which we celebrate Shavuot, receiving the Torah. Receiving the Torah, of course, again, is the idea of humility and pride at the same time. We pride ourselves, as I mentioned, the fact that we are those who stood at Sinai, that God selected us, he chose us to give us the Torah. God gave us this incredible gift, and for this we stand proud. At the same time, we stand in front of the mountain with a tremendous sense of awe, with a tremendous sense of humility, with a tremendous sense of devotion and preparedness to listen to the law of God. This is something which is important. This is how we approach Shavuot. Shavuot is a festival that we have to remember what happened, what happens, and how it affects our lives here and now. And it's this interesting combination, as I'll develop a little bit later, this interesting combination, again, the pride and the humility which comes together at this Shabbos, Shabbos Mavorchem, when we celebrate the new month of Sivan. And as mentioned, the Shabbos Chazak, we conclude the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, of course, is in a sense the third book, as I mentioned some weeks ago, the spine of the Torah. It is, uh, in a sense, where the laws come to an end. Bamidbar and Devarim. Devarim, of course, is a repetition of all the laws. But Bamidbar doesn't contain so many laws. The bulk of the laws are contained in the first three books. And the first three books, again, a constant reminder of what we have to do. There's a tremendous obligation, a tremendous sense of responsibility and duty that we have to feel and act upon in terms of fulfilling the will of God. This is something which is so important. And we call out Chazak, Chazak. Leviticus, in a sense, is the most important of the five books. It's the holiest of the five books. If one can use that term in one book as compared to another. After all, all the books are holy. But Leviticus, as we are told, contains the laws of the sacrifices, the offerings, the temple, etc. And because of that, it stands, in a sense, higher. And when we conclude that particular portion of Torah, it's a constant reminder of what, in fact, is contained, the idea of sacrifice, the idea of humility. On the one hand, by Yikra, God calls out, he calls out to each and every one of us, again, the sense of pride, the sense of greatness, the sense of standing tall. We feel proud about the fact that God is calling out to us. At the same time, the idea of sacrifices and offerings, this is something which brings out the dimension of humility. And it's this particular theme that we have to concentrate on this Shabbos, because as we prepare for Shavuot, we have to somehow understand dimensions of pride and dimensions of humility. And we have to have both. They express themselves differently. They come across differently at times, but both are here. And when these three components come together, Bahar B'chukatai coming together is one parsha. The fact that it's Shabbos Mavorchem Sivan, the third month, when we receive the Torah, the festival of Shavuot, and also Shabbos Chazak, when we celebrate the conclusion of the book of Vayikra. These are the ideas that we have to think about and concentrate on prior to Shabbos and, of course, during Shabbos. And it's important for us to understand how it all begins with the words Bahar, and these are the laws that God gave at the mountain. And the mountain itself was also a combination of pride 
and humility. We are told that um, Mount Sinai was a mountain, but it was the smallest, the humblest of all mountains. And again, this idea of humility and pride coming together to bring about a combined state of wholeness, of perfection, the idea of pride and humility, the greatness and the humility at the same time. This is something that we have to concentrate on. This is something that we have to think about. But And our sages say, why is it after all this time we're told that the Torah was given, the laws were given on the mountain? And yet, what is the opening laws in the book of, well, the Parsha of Bahar? It speaks about how to deal with the holy land, how to respect the land, how to understand the Sabbath of the land, the concept of Shemitah, the concept of Yovel, the Jubilee year, the Shemitah year. It is connected with the land. The Torah was given outside of Israel, but what is focused on within the Parsha Bahar is the land of Israel. And this is something that we have to think about carefully at all times because our relationship with Torah, our relationship with God, our relationship as Jews with each other ultimately is so intrinsically bound up with the Holy Land of Israel. And this is why Bahar, the emphasis that all that took place at that moment of revelation somehow is expressed most perfectly when it comes to the Holy Land. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about this Parsha, Bahar B'chokotai, the double Parsha, how in fact it talks to us about something which is so fundamental, developing a sense of pride and a sense of humility combined in order to serve God properly. And how in fact when we do that, Torah tells us that God will bless us with all sorts of wonderful things. In if you will follow my law, if you will fulfill with humility those ordinances that I have set before you, then I will give you your reign in time, I will make the land fruitful, I will provide with all that is necessary, etc., etc. In both parashiyot we find this idea again and again. And this parasha, of course, talks to us about the idea of consequences. If we behave well, positive consequences, God forbid, if we don't behave well, then there are negative consequences. And of course, this idea of reward and punishment, something that we talk about and think about and worry about, it doesn't always seem to be just, it doesn't always seem to be fair, it's not always something that we can recognize simply, I've done good, why am I not rewarded, so-and-so has done bad, why isn't he punished? It is not a simple concept of reward and punishment, but reward and punishment is very much part of our faith. We have to understand the idea of reward. We talk about schar mitzvah. We talk about the reward for fulfilling God's commandments. Our sages tell us that the ultimate reward for the great fulfillment of God's laws cannot really be experienced in this physical world. It is so great, it is so powerful that this limited world simply doesn't have the capacity and we who live within this limited world don't have the capacity for the ultimate blessing. But nonetheless, in fact, elements of blessing which are powerful and great do continue. And as I said before, the very existence, the very survival of the Jewish people is a point in fact. After all, you know, when we think about what we are doing here, and how we are still here, it brings to mind the idea of miracles. It brings to mind the idea of reward. And one begins to wonder about 
punishment. One begins to wonder about reward and punishment. And it's interesting that always on the Shabbos, before the Shabbos, there's still two Shabbos tomorrow and the one next week, Erev Shavuot. There are always the, the, the penultimate, the Shabbos before the last Shabbos, before Shavuot. We always read the Tochacha. We always read the admonition where God says, if you don't behave, if you don't act correctly, he will send all sorts of terrible things. And we've discussed this a number of ways and a number of times. We've discussed the idea that it's not simple, it's not simple punishment contained within these so-called punishments are huge, powerful blessings. They only appear to be as punishments, etc., etc. But nonetheless, we have to spend some time and to examine what in fact is the pathology, what in fact causes this type of behavior. How is it possible that we who stood at Sinai, we who received the Torah directly in God, we who have transmitted these values, these ideas from generation to generation, from father to son, from son to grandson to great-grandson, we who have survived, we who have lived living proof of God's ongoing miracle of the Jewish people. Why is it and how is it that after all, so many fall by the wayside, so many are caught up in the current of what we shall call punishment and the ultimate punishment, of course, is that they are in a sense removed through choice, through assimilation, perforce by nations who, well, whatever the case might be, that they are in a sense cut away from the stream, from the survival, from the identity of the Jewish people. What causes something like that? How is it possible that a people such as ours, who should be filled with a tremendous sense of gratitude, of pride, of a vision going all the way back and all the way to the future, we after all are an infinite people. How is it possible that we, whoever we might be, how is it possible that there is a situation where God says, if you don't listen to me, if you don't behave correctly, if you begin to despise the laws that I gave you, if you begin to behave in a way which is contrary to my will, I will have to deal with you harshly. And yes, the Tachacha is not a pleasant portion of the Torah to read. And this is why it's a custom in a great many shuls that, first of all, nobody is called to this aliyah. The Balkara, the reader, just makes the blessings. He is not called up either. And he reads it quickly in an undertone because it is so harsh. It is so overwhelming. It is so powerfully negative that we even don't want to hear the words clearly, even though we have to hear every single word of the Torah as it's read. But the fact still remains. We talk about punishment. We talk about negative consequences. We talk about people who behave in a negative sort of way. How does all that happen? Where does it all begin? What is the cause of this type of behavior which brings about this reaction from God where God says, I'm going to have to punish you. And this is why when we take a look with a bit more detail in the parsha, the second parsha of Bechoktai, which begins, of course, if you follow my law, I'll give you whatever you want. And he goes on to talk about how great life will be if, in fact, we continue to reveal the presence of God. And he says, and I will bring peace in the land, and I will bring harvest to the land of great, great great wealth, and you will destroy your enemies, etc., etc., etc. And then it shifts. It shifts. Well, it'll be the the um, the, the uh, fifth portion. But And then it shifts. And it says, 
and you will not listen to me. And you will not fulfill the commandments, etc., 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 and my laws you shall despise. Now, Torah, as I often say, is exact with every word. It doesn't use two if one is enough. It won't use one if inference is enough sometimes. And over here, he speaks about it in great detail. Rashi helps us out. Rashi tells us what, in fact, is the intention of this particular passage. And he quotes the sages who highlight the fact that there are seven stages in the downfall of the Jew, which causes him to behave in a way which is contrary to the will of God. There are seven things, a regressive pattern, a process which is destructive from beginning to end and results in all sorts of terrible things where God says, well, if that's the way you behave, the consequence will be that I will respond to you in a similar way. But it's not only the literal translation, as I've just read. It goes deeper than that. It says, V'im lo he says, if you will not listen to me, and he quotes the commentaries, he quotes the, the sages that say, it means if you don't study the Torah with diligence. Listen carefully. If you don't study the Torah with diligence, and then you stop fulfilling the commandments, and following that you despise those who do follow my rules. And then you reject the sages, our holy sages, who teach you my ordinances. And then you begin to prevent others from performing these commandments that I give you. And then you break your covenant with me. You, in fact, deny the fact that I exist. Seven stages which brings about individual and collective downfall when we begin to follow a regressive pattern of self-destruction. Now, how does it all begin? It all begins by the Torah telling us that you did not study the Torah diligently. The foundation is education. And education is not merely providing some sort of shallow or vague or simple or misleading concept of Judaism. Education is not merely learning the sciences and the arts, etc., etc. There has to be a dedication, an ethic, of studying the Torah with a tremendous sense of diligence, a mal Torah, a mal you didn't work. In other words, the education that we're talking about is to make the child, and the child is not only chronologically a child, it can be an adult child as well, one who doesn't know. There has to be a dedication to the study of Torah, which makes one understand that Torah comes from God you begin to understand the concept of godliness. It's not only studying the Torah at a level, you begin to understand the one who gave you the Torah, the one who gives you the Torah. You begin to understand your relationship with him through the study of Torah in the proper way. And this is something that we have to encourage our societies to live up to, to enhance the quality of Jewish education. Jewish education can't be a smattering of this, that, and the other, a couple of songs, a couple of words, a couple of stories. It has to be something which touches the soul of the child. You have to educate a child Jewishly where a child begins to understand that what he's studying is not only wonderful wisdom, but something which actually makes his entire life dependent on. Eitz Chaim, it is the tree of life. Torah Chaim is the Torah of life. When you teach Torah that sort of way, 
Yes, of course. You go through the texts, whether it's the Chumash, whether it's the Mishnah, whether it's the Talmud. Then, of course, all the ethical texts and all the Hasidic and mystical texts. When you begin to teach in a way that touches the soul of a child, that awakens within the child, the child of any age. It awakens within the child a tremendous sense, a passionate sense of closeness with God. And this is why education is so important, and education is so misunderstood. We sell ourselves for education for what? To acquire a bit of knowledge? That's not what education is really about. Education is a process of elevation, and for that, Jewishly, you need a mal Torah. You have to exhaust yourself in the study of Torah. And this is why it's not enough merely to go to a shir once in a while or to hear a lecture once in a while or to hear a sermon once in a while. There has to be a dedicated time when there is serious study. And the serious study has to be visible and seen. Your spouse should see it. Your children should see it. A person has to go off from time to time and study Torah with diligence. Study Torah so it opens his soul and makes him aware of his or her connection with God. And this is the first stage of the downfall. The first stage of the downfall is that we don't take the study of Torah seriously. We don't see it as the most vital aspect of our lives. We don't see Torah as our bloodline, something which nourishes us on every single level. What's the second stage? The second stage is we begin to, well, we don't fulfill the command. We don't study. We don't understand the importance of mitzvot. We don't understand the importance of commandments, and we stop fulfilling the commandments in one way or another way. Some people more, some people less. But we stop having this tremendous devotion that we should have to the fulfillment of God's will, of God's commandments, and we stop doing that. That's the second stage of the downfall. And then as a result, you begin to despise those who do follow my rules. You take a look at somebody, well, whom you consider to be more observant than you or more religious, and you look down at them as some sort of primitive creature. And this is not something which I'm talking about in a theoretical sense. It is something which I've seen and you've seen from time to time. How somebody who, for whatever reason, is not observant, is not tolerant of one who is observant, in fact, despises those who are observant. And this is something which, again, is the stage three of this progressive or regressive downfall. And then you reject the teaching of the sages. You reject the sages, your own men of great wisdom. And throughout history, we've had giants. And they should be respected. They should be admired. They are the heroes. And you reject them. Whether it's the contemporary teachers that teach you Torah or the historical teachers that taught you Torah. You begin to reject those sages and you begin to say, they're not for you. And then there's the fifth. You begin to prevent others from performing the commandments. That's a terrible thing. Not only don't you, not only do you despise those that do, but you also begin to prevent others from fulfilling the Torah. And after that, you begin to deny the Torah even came from me, that it's the commandment of God. 
you begin to say things like it's man-made or it's something which is artificial or something which was, well, it has no relevancy, it has no infinite law, it has no authenticity. And then you finally break my covenant. You break the covenant with God, you deny the fact that even he exists. And this is a story that happens in so many different generations. You take a look at when the Hellenists took over Israel. It was the Jewish Hellenists who were more vicious against the observed Jews than the non-Jewish Hellenists. You take the Soviet Union during the time of communism, the Yevsektia, the Jewish section of the Communist Party were more anti-Jewish and put more Jews into jail sometimes than did the Soviet regime itself. And this is what happens. Not only do you begin to, well, turn away from the study of Torah, turn away from the observance of mitzvahs, you begin to despise your own people and you begin to destroy them as well. And this is what Hashem says. This is the consequence. This is what happens when you don't listen. This is the punishment. The punishment is not so much the punishment itself, but a denial of God, a denial of your people, a destruction of your own people. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about a great tragedy. We're talking about a situation where Jewish people, for whatever reason, as a result of their lack of education, as a result of their upbringing or their ideas that come from strange and sometimes dangerous places, they begin to look at the Torah as something which is totally irrelevant. They don't study the Torah. They begin to look at mitzvahs as something which has no relevancy whatsoever in the present world. And they begin to, well, despise their own brethren who do observe, who do behave in a way which is consistent with the will of God. And they begin to despise the sages, the great teachers of Israel. They begin to, in a sense, prevent other Jews from fulfilling their obligation as Jews mitzvahs. And we've seen it throughout history in every single situation. Whenever we have been under the rule of a tyranny and where the Jewish people were able to connect with that ruling power, they ultimately turned some of them on the Jewish people themselves and caused the great, great harm to the Jewish people, both physically and spiritually. And the question is, well, this happens, and why does it happen, and how does it happen, and how does it all begin? Yes, it begins by the, uh, well, the absence of study. We don't take Torah studies seriously. The education is faulty. We don't nurture the observance of mitzvot, etc., etc. We live, so to speak, in a modern world. Where does it all come from? It all comes from what I said earlier on is the basis of this Shabbos and the two parashiyot. It comes from a lack of Jewish pride. It comes from a lack of being proud of who we are. Instead of a father and a mother telling a child that they are great because they are part of a tremendous tradition, a tremendous history, and marching along a road to a glorious destiny. Instead of parents telling children inward, by example, through deed, that this is the way to develop a sense of Jewish pride, they instill within their children well, the absence of pride, to be proud of other things, not to be proud of their Jewishness. And this, indeed, is a great tragedy. We have to somehow be proud. We have to be proud with a tremendous sense of awareness. 
But at the same time, we have to be humble as well. We don't walk around, you know, I am this and I am that. Yes, we have through example of deed, through example of speech. We present a particular type of correctness and a sense of, but at the same time, it comes with humility as well. And this is something that we have to teach ourselves. It's something we have to teach our children in order for us to remain loyal to the word of God, in order for us to be loyal to the commandments of God, in order not to deny his presence, in order not to hurt our fellow Jew. It can be the other way around as well. Yes, I do agree that tolerance is a two-way street. But we're talking about a tolerance which breaks down the fiber, the substance of the Jewish people. And this is a great tragedy. One of the great tragedies which is the cause of so much, well, assimilation, of drifting away. It begins, of course, with a lack of study. But the lack of study begins with the absence of pride. And that's why this Shabbos, it's so important that when we are in shul, we listen carefully to the ideas of what the Shabbos represents and what this Parsha represents, not to take the reward and punishment in a simple way alone. Yes, it is there, and in a simple way, as the concept of reward and punishment is very real to each and every one of us. But at the same time, to understand the essence of what's being taught to us, how to develop that mountain within us, how to feel that not only are we a mountain, we're Mount Sinai, how to feel that we stand and receive the Torah directly from God. Can you imagine that scene? Yes, next week, this time, we will talk about Shavuot. We'll be talking about the great preparation for Matan Torah. What Matan Torah was the most glorious moment since creation. A time that changed the entire world. God came down upon the mountain. Yes, those are words which we say easily. It rolls off our tongue. And God came down upon the mountain. What it means, God came down upon the mountain. God revealed himself. The infinite, beyond infinite concept of godliness revealed himself on top of a mountain to the Jewish people and gave them his law. And when you dwell upon that with a tremendous sense of devotion and dedication and depth and seriousness, you begin to stir within you a sense of powerful faith, of powerful, well, connection with God. And when you have a connection with God, things flow differently. You study differently. You observe his laws differently. You relate to his children differently. You relate to yourself differently. You relate to his sages differently. You relate to all of creation differently. And this is something which is important for us to understand, the idea of developing this sense of pride. Again, I use the word pride, but not the word arrogance. There is an arrogant pride which is destructive and dangerous. I'm talking about a pride which brings out the powerful spiritual energy that we possess, where our souls touches our mind and our heart and our bodies, and we reflect that soul. That's the sense of pride I'm talking about. And as I said, it comes together with the humility. There's Bahar Bechukotai. It's that dual relationship which makes for perfection. And then, of course, it's the Shabbos that we bless the month of Sivan, the third month, the month that we receive the Torah. And we do it with a tremendous sense of joy, because after all, the journey between Pesach and Shavuot, 49 days of counting, 
of somehow, well, developing each and every single dimension of our emotional structure and makeup. And then we shout at the end of the book of Leviticus, of Ikra, chazak, chazak, penis, chazak, be strong, be strong, be strong, and you will strengthen yourselves and each other as well. The idea of pride comes through in so many different ways. And this is what the Parsha is all about. Yes, we read the Parsha, and some of it is uplifting, and some we read quickly and quietly in an undertone, because it's quite frightening. But even there, we have to listen, because we have to understand where is it that we went wrong? What is it that we have to do to correct the downward spiral that destroys the ongoing tradition of the Jewish people? How is it possible to bring it back to a state of glory and to a state of greatness? So when you're in shul tomorrow, think on these things. Think about the Parsha. Think about the words of the Parsha. Think about blessing the third month that brings the festival of Shavuot, the festival of receiving the Torah. And think about Chazak Chazak, concluding the book of Leviticus. Coming not to the end, but now to start a new book, but to know that we have concluded this great and powerful book of offerings of sacrifice in the most glorious way. Good job,